Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to ask you now. Would you bless, Lord, as we teach the truth and preach the truth about you, Lord? What does it really mean? And has our celebration or what we have determined to be the time to celebrate your birth, have we gotten some things wrong? And Lord, if we have, what we can do to correct it. Lord, help us tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, the first thing I think we're going to do just before we get Ruthie to read our scriptures tonight and get into the Word, first we have to get into a little reading that we got from some information that we got that is going to tell us a little bit about what the world thinks of Christmas, and then, of course, we're going to get into the Word of God and see what it has to say about Christmas. But the first thing is we got to get it, see what the world says about it. Amen. Christmas, when observed, December 25th, earliest observance, early 4th century. Luke 2, 1 through 7, the biblical narrative of the birth of Jesus contains no indication of the date that the event occurred. However, Luke's report that the shepherds were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, suggests that Jesus may have been born in summer or early fall. Since December is cold and rainy in Judea, it is likely the shepherds would have sought shelter for their flocks at night. Legal Recognition of Christmas Alabama was the first state to grant legal recognition to Christmas in 1836. By 1890, all the states and territories had made similar acknowledgment, including the District of Columbia in 1870. It is interesting to note that Christmas is the only national religious holiday to receive an official and secular sanction. Santa Claus. This jolly old gentleman is so thoroughly part of the American Christmas scene that we must almost imagine him landing with a group of Dutch or English settlers. He was given three names in America, St. Nicholas, Kris Kringle, and Santa Claus. St. Nicholas. The original St. Nicholas is a shadowy figure lost in historical and religious myths. It is known that he was Bishop of Myra in Asia Minor during the first half of the 4th century, was exiled and imprisoned during the persecution of Diocletian and finally given freedom by Constantine the Great. He died in 350 or thereabouts. He's supposed to have given a fortress to the poor, the workshop at the North Pole, the sleigh with its reindeer, and the slide down the chimney are said to have been appropriated from the Christmas man, although even in the early 19th century, Santa Claus was not accepted everywhere. In some accounts, he traveled by horse, in others on foot or a wagon. <laughs> Chris Kringle... <laughs> The Germans and German-speaking Swiss who settled in Pennsylvania in the 18th century, sometimes known as the Pennsylvania Dutch, held the custom. 
that the Christ child, the Chris Crindle, brought gifts on white mule, which was loaded with presents. <laughs> uh, yeah, straw was left for the mule, and either a bread basket, a hat, or a plate was set out for the nuts, cookies, and candies of the Chris Crindle. The Chinese child was supposed to have entered the house through the keyhole. Oh, get over it. <laughs> I know. Okay, Chris Crindle was Santa Claus, was St. Nicholas, and still is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's and great. I'm, I'm the devil. And this crazy? The cartoon contribution of Thomas Nast. Thomas Nast, the 19th century American cartoonist, was primarily responsible for the fat and rosy-cheeked appearing of the modern Santa. Christmas carols. The majority of our most revered Christmas carols date from the 19th century. The Christmas tree. There is little, if any, direct knowledge to explain how the fir trees and lights used in the ancient celebration of the winter solstice became the dazzling Christmas tree of today. Well, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, actually, the uh, Christmas tree and stuff, they know that it actually had a little bit to do with that, but the reason it doesn't look the way it used to do back then of the winter solstice is because they don't even use the same tree, silly boys. That's the reason. They used to use fir trees, but now we use uh, evergreens. That's the difference. Different shape, different everything. That's why it looks different. So get over it. Oh, come off it, though. That, that, come on. A little baby is going to ride a, frick, uh, a, a stinking mule? And uh, let's see, let's see. He's going to ride a mule, and he's going to slip through the keyhole. Uh, excuse me, the Christ child ain't doing none of that nonsense. That ain't in the Bible. Get your head screwed on straight. All right, we're going to start tonight from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start from 1 to 17. 1 to 17 tonight is where we're going to start, and then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 1, 1 to 25. But we're going to start off with Matthew 1, verse 1 to verse 17, and we're going to learn a little bit about Jesus and we're not just going to talk about just Jesus, but we're going back a little bit. Back to see where he came from and how he came into being. And did he fulfill the prophecies made of him? We're going to learn to look way back. Make sure we understand that the child that we're talking about is in fact the Savior. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Ruthie, every so often I'm going to be stopping you, but we need to stop at 17, and then we'll move over to Luke. But right now, Matthew 1, and we're starting at verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Now, it starts off with Abraham. Now, of course, 
you could go back in Genesis and you could find before Abraham, there's a few generations that take you to Adam. So then we got down to Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. That was his son. Begat simply means conceived. This is his heir. This is his son by birth. This is his actual blood line. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Ruth. Who was it? Jacob. Now we know that that was eventually God changed the name from Jacob to Israel. And Jacob begat or was the father of Judas and his brethren. How many other brothers did he have? Eleven. Now you notice it did not say it was the uh, it was not Levi. It was not the Levites who were the priests back then. As we it, as you have listened to the tapes on tithing and about the sermon on tithing, it mentioned in Hebrews that there would be a new priest, a high priest that would come not from those who God called priests, not from the Levitical priesthood. He would rise up out of a different priesthood, out of a tribe of which God never said anything to do with the priesthood. So Judas was not a part of the priesthood. He was never a part of the priesthood. So Judas was the son of Israel or Jacob. And then Judas had a son named Ruth. Who's next? Verse 3. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar and Perez begat Ezram. Now, you notice, Judas, of his son, this child that he bore, do you realize this Tamar that's spoken of here? Thamar. Tamar. Oh, uh, yes, this is. This is the one that played the harlot. Mm-hmm. This is the one who played the harlot who was married to Judas, Ju Judah's eldest son who died. His second son, as custom for the Jewish tribe, was to take her husband, her, her, her brother's second son, second eldest brother, and he was supposed to marry her. He died. And finally, he was supposed to go to the youngest, but since she, he, the father, Judas, Judah, never gave Tamar to his youngest, Selah, he took and he lied with her, got her pregnant. And how that came about was she faked off to be a harlot She faked to be a harlot and had him give her his signet and staff. This is who this is talking about. 
It's saying, because if you notice the name, that's who it is. That's who we're talking about here. What does that show us right from the beginning? The Bible says, makes it very plain, that a harlot shall never live. You shall not suffer a whore to live amongst the children of Israel. Then why is a harlot in the genealogy? Because it shows God's forgiveness. Total forgiveness of sin. He can forgive even you if you've been a harlot. Isn't that amazing? Right there. In the genealogy. Nobody sees that because they just go over there, oh, this is just the begats, who cares? But there's a lesson to be learned. Okay, now go on, Ruth. The guy just had an incorrect spelling, T-A-M-A-R. This is T-H-A-M-A-R. That's why I thought it was wrong, probably. No, you, no, you, you pronounce it. They, they write it or pronounce it either way. Okay. Go on. Nezram Begat Aram and Aram Begat Emadab. And Emadab begat Naasan and Naasan begat Salmon and Salmon begat Boaz of Rashab and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse. Anybody that's read the book of Ruth realizes this is the Obed that begat Jesse of Ruth, who is the Moabitess who was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. That's the Ruth we're talking about here. So, so far we've come from Abraham to Obed and Jesse. Now, let's go on to see who's next. Jesse begat and Jesse begat David the king. Old Testament prophecy right here. It said, not only did it say that that the the lion of the would come out of the tribe of Judah, but it also said the Messiah would come out of the seed of David. This is why the genealogy is so important in Matthew chapter 1. But if you notice, even Ruth, when you look at her, see, there's two women already listed here. In the genealogy of Christ, the first was a harlot. The second was a faithful woman who had been widowed that st was willing to give up false gods. What is that saying? Even God can forgive you when you've went to a false religion. So when you think of Ruth there, and she's mentioned in the genealogy here, when she was mentioned, that was to show us that God could forgive you even if you went so far astray like the prodigal, went to a false religion, you can always come back. Amen. And it says, beget David the king. Now, wait a minute. David the king, he was a murderer. And 
David DeKing was a big, fat, backstabbing murderer, and he's found in the genealogy. And let's take a look at some other stuff here. Go on. Because then David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. That was that was Bathsheba. Stop on that point. Why don't you stop right there and say only that? Because not only did he forget forgive David's murdering all them people and and as well as Bathsheba's husband, he forgave the adultery too. Look at all the forgiveness we're seeing so far. Just in the genealogy of Christ, something that is so old and people would normally skip over, have nothing to do with that Christmas. This is very important because we have to know that Jesus came from the right bloodline. Okay, go on, Ruthie. The Solomon begat Robom, and Robom begat Abla, and Abla begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Zoram, and Zoram begat Oslaz, and Oslaz begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, I think they pronounce it, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jochanias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jochanias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerobobobol, and Zerobobobol begat Abahud, and Abahud begat Ella Ikim. Eliakim begat Oz- Azor, and Azor begat Sedak, and Sedak begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathon, and Mathon begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. That's up to 17. Thank you very much. Now, what do we see here? That even when they were taken to Babylon, the bloodline was maintained. The bloodline, what we see here is the bloodline was maintained. So even when they were taken away to a foreign land, it was maintained. Now, after knowing that Jesus, see, he had to be of a certain lineage. He had to be a Jew. To be the Messiah, he had to be a Jew. He had to come from the line of the tribe of Judah. He did. He had to come from the house and lineage of David. He did. If he had never come from those two, he had never been the Messiah. Now, we go a little further. Now that we're getting closer to the time of the birth of Jesus, 
as they say, meanwhile, back at the ranch? Well, let's take a look here. In Luke chapter 1, now we're going to look 1 to 25, and we're going to take a very unique look at, if you will, just before Jesus is even conceived, before he's even conceived, something else that happened that was necessary in order to fulfill another prophecy. He had to be born not only of a certain lineage in a certain place at a certain time, but he also had to have the proper person born before him, quote, the forerunner of Christ, unquote. And everybody knows the forerunner of Christ is John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist had to be born. So without the story of John the Baptist and understanding it, understanding the birth of Christ is not going to make any sense at all. Okay, Ruthie, if you would please. All right, Fred. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Alright. See, now Luke says here, look, I need to lay some groundwork here ahead of what we're about to preach, uh, what I'm about to tell you about. Because if I don't tell you exactly what happened, you're not going to understand it. And if Luke thought it important enough to tell us, then why is it that we never talk about John the Baptist? We only talk about the birth of Jesus during Christmas. Well, the birth of John the Baptist was just as important. And so we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. All right, Ruthie? There are, was in the days of, Ju- of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. The course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. I had to finish the verse. Now, see, we first find two things. We first find out when he was, this is all happening. We got a time placement. It's in the days of Herod. Secondly, we find something else out. That Jesus' forerunner has come through the tribe of who? No. He came through the tribe of Levi. Check it out. It just said it right there. The verse you just read. 
it said the tribe of Levi through the Aaron. You see Aaron there? You see that, Ruth? You just read it? Aaron talks about... Read the verse you just read. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and, and her name was Elizabeth. See? Daughters of Aaron. Aaron was a priest, a Levite, through the tribe of Levi. Moses and Aaron were brothers. They were of the tribe of Levi. See? So we got two tribes represented here. John the Baptist came through Levi while Jesus came through Judah. You see that? So the forerunner of Christ, even though they were cousins, related through marriage and whatnot, the fact is they were under two different tribe headings, but still all the children of Israel, all still Israelites, but John the Baptist was through the tribe of Levi or Aaron. And his father was a priest. See, he was a priest because he was a Levite. While Jesus' earthly father, which would have been um, Joseph and Mary, were not under the priesthood. Because they were under the tribe of Judah and David. Okay? So we need to make that plain that they're two different tribes. But the main thing is we need to understand where these two are related. Because it's important. Because here comes something very unique. It says that this father was a priest. And watch what it does say about him. Okay, go ahead, they were both righteous before God, walking all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now, these two are elderly, up in age. The husband and his wife, this priest and his wife, they were old. No way they was ever going to have a son. No way they was going to carry on their bloodline at least through that family. But that wasn't God's plan. They were stricken in age. They had been living for God and doing what was right. Now, wait a minute. Remember, as I said earlier during the, uh, at the prayer time, obedience is better than sacrifice. They were obedient to God. They weren't, it wasn't that they were so super holy that they never sinned. They probably did sin. But the fact was, they had walked in the commandments of the Lord. When they sinned, they did what they were supposed to do under the, under the Levite, under the Mosaic and Levite law, which was they give the appropriate sacrifices or whatever to cleanse those sins. So according to God, they were blameless. You follow that? So when we read that someone was blameless and the Bible doesn't mean they were without sin, it just means that they did according to the Levitical law what they had to do to purge for that sin and atone for that sin. So these two had been 
doing what they're supposed to do. Their sins are covered. Their sins are under the blood. And let's see what God says about these folks at their old age. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office, were God in the order of his course. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Okay, to make your people prepared for the Lord. I just have to Good. Now, John the Baptist had something to do. But do you also notice what it said of him? It said, from his mother's womb, he would be separated to God. And what did it say about two things that he would not do? What was the two things he would not do? That's right. He would neither drink wine nor have strong drink. What does that indicate to you? And then it goes on to say, and he will be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. That indicates only one thing of John the Baptist. Very plainly, right from the go, we need to understand that John the Baptist Unlike the pictures that we have of Jesus with long hair, Jesus did not have long hair. But I guarantee you, John the Baptist had long hair. Because he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. He was not going to be permitted to cut his hair. It's said of him that he, the father is being instructed here that he is not going to drink wine or strong drink He's going to be a Nazarite from his mama's womb. He's going to be dedicated to me, more or less is what the angel is saying, that the, the Lord is going to have this child dedicated to him, totally. John the Baptist is going to be separated to the side for God's work to do one important work, to turn the people's hearts back to God by the power of Elias. Now, who is Elias? Uh, another familiar name you're more familiar with. So you got to understand, when they used Greek in the New Testament, some Hebrew names were uh, had to be modified because the way they were pronounced. Elias in the New Testament is Elijah in Hebrew of the Old Testament. We're talking about Elijah. So it's saying that w that's why later... They came to, the Pharisees came to John the Baptist and says, Are you Elijah? And he says, No, I'm not Elijah. Although he had the power and spirit of Elijah, that, that was not who he was. 
he was filled by the Holy Ghost and had the power of, but he was not that person. He was not that prophet. So when he answered, no, I am not, he was telling the truth. They just couldn't see it. And it goes on to say here, he was going to lay out the roadway for the Messiah. It was his job. All right, now let's go on. We're going to find out something else that happens here very interesting. Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Does that sound familiar? Does that even sound close to familiar? Well, let me give you a little uh, kickback to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And who begat who? Who begat who? The very first begat. Matthew 1 and 1. And Abraham begat Isaac. Yeah, verse 2, excuse me. Okay, thank you, Ruth, for the correction. We don't want to be wrong here. But it says here, the very first begat is Abraham begat Isaac. What did Abraham say to the men who came to him? The angels that came to him. The same thing that Zacharias in the temple said to the angel Gabriel. Sarah laughed and said, yeah, right. Me and Abraham are going to have a child. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, right. Who's going to have pleasure at my age? Sure. But God gave her a child, so she would laugh, didn't he? And what happened here to a, a to um, Zacharias? He did the same thing. He says, <laughs> yeah, right, God. Sure. Me and my wife are old. Come on here. Get real. Get real. We're up in age. There ain't no way me and my wife are going to have a child. No way. I'm too old, and for certain she's past childbearing age. Come on, get a life, God. But what did God say? The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to shew these, these uh, glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak. Until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. People waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Let me go on. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And that's where you end at 25. See, so she said, God took away my reproach. She accepted it. He did not. He ended up, he lost his voice, speechless, unable to speak, 
And God said, here's how you're going to know this is truth. I'm not going to let allow you to be able to talk. He said through the angel Gabriel, you're not going to be able to speak or say a word until these things are fulfilled. And so he was told that he would end up silent. And so she conceived. Now, why is it so important that we understand about John the Baptist or the history? Because in order to understand Jesus, you need to understand the history that's laid out before. See, John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner. And without him being the forerunner at the proper time, it never would have worked. And one more little antidote I want to throw on to our understanding of the things that are going on is this. As we get into the Christmas season, each little bit here, I want to also say this. See, the way we celebrate Christmas now is hardly anything to do with the actual Christmas season that we celebrate according to the Word. The Word of God and what it says compared to what we're doing has nothing to do with each other at all. Some things have a good biblical rep representation, but they don't any more resemble what the pagans used to do either. So thankfully, Christmas has lost some of its connotation, but the devil's sliding in, and we need to beware. Let me slide this little thought in. The Christmas tree. How did we get into doing that? See, long ago, way before the days of Christ, the pagans, better known as the Druids, used to have a big tree. And they would put a bunch of candles on it and light it up. Put it in the middle of the square. And they'd light that bad boy up and and they worshipped this tree as a celebration of the winter solstice. At the same time, they also worshipped the holly. They are very much into worshipping the holly. The holly berry, and that's where a lot of that garbage comes in, the holly berries. That's still a little offshoot of that that still exists. But you don't see too many people too much concerned over the holly berry. They don't say too much. But you do hear that song, Deck the Halls with Balls of Holly. Okay? So we do have a little bit of that mess in there, but it's very little. Mistletoe and people kissing under it. It's all parts off of that old pagan tradition. But it's very little. That emphasis of the tree with the lights on it, this day and age, because the type of tree they use was different than the evergreen trees that we use today. So it no more resembles the tree 
with lights on it that the Druids have other than the fact that we put lights on our evergreen trees. What I happen to see in an evergreen tree with lights on it, you could almost say resembles the lights representing us being the light of the world. And the Christmas tree reminds me of the Bride of Christ. Now, what's wrong with the Bride of Christ celebrating Christ's birth? Now, of course, as we go on, we're not going to be talking, we're not going to talk about it right now, about the exact date of Christ's birth. But I'm going to guarantee you, it's not in the season in which we celebrate it. In fact, nobody knows Christ's exact birth date. So there's nothing wrong in just picking out a date and using it. But the fact is, is when the emphasis gets off of Christ and gets on Satan. So we're going to talk a little more about how it's getting onto the emphasis of Satan later. But I thought I'd emphasize one thing. Our Christmas tree today does not resemble so much the tree of lights as, uh, of, of the Druids as it used to. But when you get your mind so decorated on that tree and you start singing songs like, Oh, Christmas tree, and worshiping it, then you got a little bit of a problem. You got something wrong with that picture. So it's not so much the tree, it's what you do with it. Anybody can have an evergreen tree in their yard, put lights all over it any time of the year. But when they start worshiping it, and singing songs to it, that's when we got a problem with it. Then that's where the problem comes in. So, am I saying anything wrong with us having Christmas trees in our homes? Or lights on our houses? No. Nothing wrong with that. It's what you do with them. And why you got them up. And what they are rep- supposed to be representing. What is the message you're giving out when you put the lights and stuff on your home? What, what kind of message are you giving the public as they pass by? Are they seeing Jesus? Are they seeing the light of the world? The light that could lighten up their life? Or are they seeing just another house that emphasizes witchcraft and the devil and commercialism and all of that. What do they see when they see your decorations at Christmas? Am I against Christmas? No. Am I against celebrating it? No. Am I against gift giving? Absolutely not. You're going to find out that that's not where I'm coming from at all. But my emphasis throughout this here study and this here preaching So a preacher, when he preaches, he should be able to also teach at the same time. Preaching and teaching go hand in hand. So as we go out throughout this study and this preaching, I don't want no one to get the idea that I'm against celebrating. It's what you do. What is your emphasis in that celebration? That's That's what I'm talking about. Is your emphasis... On Jesus. Or when they, people come by, do they see something other than Christ? Do they see Christ as number one? 
or is he on the back burner? In the Bible, we find about Jesus. But we don't find nothing about a fat old snowman. And I don't care what any old person tries to take about the song Frosty the Snowman and tries to illustrate it and talk about Jesus. Let me tell you something. Frosty the uh, magical snowman that came out of devil worship and magic has nothing to do with Jesus and ain't nothing to like. Now let me tell you a little bit about old stupid Frosty. See, that ain't even a... Technically... How it came into the Christmas story is the only the fact is because he's made out of snow. Did you know that? If the fact he wasn't made out of snow, Frosty would have never made it into anything to do with Christmas at all. But the story behind Frosty is that, that, that somebody wrote up a story about a bunch of kids who got together decided to make a snowman and they made a snowman out of virgin Christmas snow. Meaning it was snow that had just fallen on Christmas Eve and they made a snowman. And they came across this old old felt hat or top hat and when they placed it on this so-called snowman's head the snowman came to life. And the song says, there must have been some, hello, anybody ought to know this ain't nothing to do with Christmas, has to do with the devil. Must have been some magic in that old silk cat they found. For when they placed it upon his head, he began to dance around. Hello, something's wrong with that picture right there. Why in the world you got old fat so frosty? <laughs> Glory. Sitting on your front lawn or on your porch or whatever glorifying witchcraft and magic. Hello, Christian friend. I find something wrong with that. Something wrong with having fat old Frosty on a front porch. Something wrong with that. And you're going to proclaim, the, uh, you're going to tell people about Jesus when they come over to your house. Oh, well, I'll, when they come in, we could have a prayer a prayer before we have our Christmas dinner. Uh, well, I kind of find it hard to be praying with Frosty out in the yard. I kind of find it hard to have fat so Frosty with his magic hat sitting in the yard and you're in there praying. Find a double standard there. Find a double standard there. Looks like you double tongue. That's right, Ruthie. Looks like they're double tongue and worshiping Frosty and, and Jesus too. Frosty's another god. Anything to take your mind off of Jesus. Then they got get this. These are just some of the stupid movies that we watch around Christmas time. I'm just covering some of the stories and stuff that we watch around this time. Grinch. Grinch. Come on here. Grinch? How the Grinch stole Christmas. Well, if you study the story out, old Dr. Seuss, uh, when you got done, the Grinch didn't steal Christmas. He couldn't steal Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be in your heart. 
And what happens is this Grinch sort of dresses up like old fat boy Santa Claus. I'm coming to him real quick here. I'm sneaking up on him. I'm sneaking up on old fat boy here. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, we're getting sneaking up on fat boy Satan Claus here in a minute. But let's deal with old Grinch first. He's supposed to be a guy who is deceptive by acting like Satan Claus. Comes and steals all the stuff from the Who's. Tries to steal their Christmas joy. And yet they end up singing at the end. And then his heart grows in size when he realizes what the holiday is all about. And then he comes back and brings all the presents and stuff back. Uh, you find something wrong with that picture? Uh, last I checked, I never heard one word about Jesus. So I find something wrong with that picture? Definitely. So once again, uh, I got something wrong with that. And then we got Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, now I find something wrong in this story altogether. First off, he's a greedy buzzard uh, who is real nasty. And his partner who had died, Jacob Marley, decides to haunt him in the form of a ghost. Hmm. Anybody find a problem with this yet? Uh, haunts him in the form of a ghost. Tells him he's going to be haunted by three more ghosts. Hmm. The ghost of Christmas past. The ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future. Um, um, find a problem with this story already. I find a little bit of devil stuff in here already. Ghosts and goblins are devil's deal. Okay? The only ghost that we ought to be worried about is the Holy Ghost. Amen. But, so these three ghosts come by and Starts showing him what he was like as a boy, and how he and what things are as present, and what the future is going to look like, and and him supposedly going to die. And all of a sudden, he wakes up the next morning, and all of a sudden, now he's the most generous man you ever saw. Uh, where did Jesus fit into that picture? Uh, don't find Jesus in that. I didn't hear that Jesus uh, came in into his heart and he got saved. Didn't hear that at all. Nope. Sorry, old Scrooge. He may have been generous, but he may have started to do good works. But the Bible doesn't teach me that. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry, uh, you can be haunted by all the ghosts you want, but it doesn't make you get saved. Amen. And then we get to old fat boy. With the red suit. <coughs> now, there are some major problems here. In this story that we tell our children every year. That there's a fat guy 
He flies around on a sled. <coughs> a sled. Doesn't have wings on it. No jet engines. Nothing that would make it aerodynamic or fast. A sled. He doesn't slide across the ground on it. He flies it. Pulled by reindeer. They're supposed to fly. Hmm. Something wrong with this. He lives up in the North Pole, and uh, sorry, uh, there's been people already that done expeditions to the North Pole, never found his castle yet, or his workshop. And it'd have to be one hellacious big workshop if he's making presents for everybody in the whole world. Now, listen to the story that's told of him. We all know the story, but we need to look at it, look at it with a logical mind. He's flying around on his sled. He, 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 first off, all year long, he has little elves, which are nothing more than leprechauns. Did you know that? That's what they're supposed to represent, the leprechauns. Hello? Leprechauns are superstitious garbage. The little genies. So we're already into witchcraft. Oh, come on, Santa Claus ain't witchcraft. Hold on, buddy. Hold on to your seat a little bit. I'm going to show you how he's into witchcraft and he's the devil. Okay. You just need to be patient. We're going to show you some stuff about old Satan Claus here. And how deceptive he has been. He takes, and he's got these little elves that produce all the toys in the whole world for all the kids and for everybody else. So, for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet, there's a toy or some sort of gift. Now, mind you, any person mathematically would know that the weight of those gifts, they wouldn't weigh one or two pounds not even one or two hundred pounds, not one or two thousand pounds, but by the time you're done getting enough presents for every person in this whole country and in this whole entire earth, you're talking several billion tons. Uh, last I checked, the Saturn V rocket weighed less. I'll say that again. The Saturn V rocket, the space shuttle uh, Columbia or Challenger, whichever one you wanted to put there, the Apollo rockets, the space shuttles, the Russian Buran rocket, the Russian uh, 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 rockets that they used to send up their uh, Sputniks, all of those rockets, you add up all their weights together, wouldn't even come up with that much weight. And they're trying to tell me that reindeer lift a sled off the ground with that much weight on it, plus... 
fat boy, which you know with the way they show him, he must be at least 200 pounds. Has to be at least 200 to 300 pounds. Okay? Not to count the weight of the sled plus the reindeer. Most reindeer weigh at least 200 pounds apiece. And you're talking eight of them. Eight times two boys comes out to 1,600 pounds there. Plus 300 pounds for fat boy. Plus you figure at least 80 pounds for the sled. So you're talking 80 plus 300. That's 380. Plus 1,600 pounds for the reindeer. Plus the 2 billion pounds of toys. Uh... And you're saying the reindeer lift this thing off? Yeah. Right. And then, we're not done yet, boys. You're saying that he goes from a dead stop at the North Pole. He takes off. Now, mind you, if he was to stay so that he could land on every person's rooftop at midnight, or at, let's say, 2 a.m. or whatever, in order to get to every person's house around the complete planet, he would have to follow the, the nighttime side of the earth where the sun is not shining as the planet rotates. So he'd be progressively working his way westward, which means in order to end up back at the same starting point, he'd have to do it in 24 hours, because that's how long it takes the sun to rotate around this, for the earth to rotate on its axis one time. Now this is scientific, boys. So you're telling me a guy has a sled with reindeer pulling it through the sky. It's unaerodynamic. He goes from a dead stop to a full flight, lands on somebody's roof. Huh? Hey, uh, wait a minute. Space Shuttle Challenger or any of them need 1,500 feet. 1,500 yards to go from 200-some mile an hour to come to a complete stop. I don't know of anybody's roof that's 1,500 yards long. Most roofs are only 80 to 100 feet. Feet only. Okay? Most roofs aren't, no, 1,500 Yards long, 1,500 yards, they're only like 100, at the most, 100 feet. Most average homes. And most of those houses have peaks. Uh, you're telling me that old fat boy can land on a peaked roof? Land on a peaked roof? Which means you only got, uh, he's going to land on one side or the other. And even if he landed where the peak is dead in the center of the bottom of his sled, 
Now, wait a minute. By the time is, what does he do? I mean, what does he do? Get them reindeer to put him dead smack on Man, a helicopter couldn't do that. <laughs> Man, you talk about a strange story. Now, let me finish this job here for you. I'm not done yet. But he lands precisely on the roof, right? And then he goes down a chimney. Hmm. Most houses like mine, though, with the new um, uh, uh, trying to be a con- uh, 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 fuel efficient with fuel efficient furnaces and stuff, no longer have chimneys. Just a little old pipe, about a two or three inch pipe. You don't even have a fireplace or chimney. So what do you do? Leave your key out uh, so Santa Claus can get in? Uh, (laughs) That's what I find wrong in that picture. Okay? But so he comes to a dead halt. He has the time to go down the chimney, go back up the chimney, get in his sled, go from a dead stop to to a dead flight and a dead stop on next door neighbor's roof. And he does that on and off all night long. And he does it in 24 hours. Plus, mind you, yes, true enough, at 2 billion tons of weight is slowly, very slowly being dropped as he drops off the gifts. Okay? But you're telling me that he could do all that in 24 hours? Well, preacher, you didn't prove he was... You said something about witchcraft. Okay, let me help you. I want to show you how that this is not God, but it's actually the devil. How can I prove it? Well, come on, y'all. You sing the song all the time. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Uh, That sounds like you're trying to say he's omnipresent. He knows every person when they've been good or bad, every day or night, whether they're asleep or awake. You're telling me that? that? You're saying he's omnipresent. The only person I know who's omnipresent is one person. God. So you made Santa Claus God. And you know what's worse? How do I... Well, what about witchcraft, preacher? What about the witchcraft? Uh, St. Nicholas, he came down the chimney after he had left the gifts and laying a finger aside of his nose and with a... And with a nod up the chimney, he rose. Hello, sounds like witchcraft to me. Anybody who has to use blinking their eyes like dream a genie or twitching their little nose like bewitched tells me they're of the devil. Now, why do I call him Satan Claus? Well, simple. Santa, S-A-N-T-A, simple. Take the N out. Now you move the T-A over. You have S-A-T-A. And then take the N that you dropped out and put it on the N. S-A-T-A-N. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. That's the devil. Absolutely. The devil had to jump in there. 
and come up with this guy called Santa Claus who's omnipresent, who can do this miracle of flying around on a sled that's unaerodynamic with billions of tons of presents for every person on this planet and do it in 24 hours. He had to do that. And yet he also knows when you've been bad or good every day of your life. He had to do that in order to take your mind off of Jesus. That way he could commercialize the season. Well, how did we come up with Satan Claus in the first place? Well, originally there was a Saint Nicholas. Believe it or not, he was a Catholic. He was a Catholic man who did not like the Catholic Church believing. See, prior to this man, they never believed that Jesus was God. They only believed in Mary. They, they, they was more sucked up into Jesus was the Son of God and all this stuff. So what did he do? He started to try to strive the birth of Christ. So he started giving out gifts to people. And there was really such a person. He wasn't trying to give people gifts to give himself a name. He was trying to do it to say, look, just as Jesus is the gift to our world, he said, look, I want to give gifts to people. Well, it caught on. Then, of course, well, you know, stores, they said, hey, this is a perfect way. Well, you, you sure enough can't put Jesus in your window and say, well, you got to give gifts like Jesus is the Christ child was a gift for us. Devil ain't going to let that happen. No! Hey, remember old St. Nicholas who gave out them gifts? Why not have him as a fat boy who, who don't know how to diet and take and be in control of his own gluttony? Hey, man! I'm preaching now. He, he, he don't know how to take care of his own gluttony. And we're going to have this story of him flying around with reindeer, landing on people's roofs, Going up and down chimneys all night. And you notice his suit never gets soiled from the ashes in the, in the chimney. I find that awful funny too. I find that a really funny. I mean most chimneys have soot and garbage up in them. Uh, you're telling me that he manages to do that without getting dirty? Uh, I can't find, Especially that nice puffy white stuff that's around the top and bottom of his coat. I can't, I can't believe that. All right. Or his hat come off or something. No soot on his face. Come on here. Something's wrong with this picture. And, and, and not to mention that big fat, fat bag of toys plus his fat butt himself. How in the world they ever fit down a chimney in the first place? But anyway. So they decided, hey, let's do this. And now we'll have him in parades. And we can have the kids come and see Santa Claus. Tell them what they need. Only so the parents will end up hearing it and they'll know what the kid wants and they go and buy it from this store and this store makes the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, preacher, are you against people giving gifts? No. Am I against the whole Christmas season? No. I just think we ought to think about what we're uh, uh, talking about. Well, what about old Rudolph? The red-nosed devil. Well, he must be if he's part of that witchcraft thing that goes flying around every December 25th, 24th, whatever. Okay? 
The story behind old Rudolph is it's supposed to be the triumph of a misfit reindeer who has a red nose that shines. And doing so, he ends up one day saving Christmas because it was so foggy they would have had to cancel Christmas. And doing so, he showed how bright his nose could cut through the fog like a fog light. And Santa Claus decides still flies reindeer with Rudolph at the head of it to shine and show the way. Uh, boys, the last I checked, when you use a bright light in fog, it only makes it harder to see. Hello? Go ask any driver. Go ask any driver on the road. Ask them, do you turn up your headlights to the bright setting when you're in fog? <laughs> Ruth just said no, she'd never done that. She always turns them down. Why? Because it's harder to see. Because <coughs> all it does is take the fog that's in front of your headlight and, 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 and it, it just turns it into a big light right in your face and you can't see nothing. It'd be a big glare. So instead of turning up the high beams, you leave them on low. That way you don't you don't have it as bright in your eyes and it, you might be able to make out a little bit, but it may not be the best, but at least it's something. But you sure enough don't get something that's extra bright. But they have old Rudolph with a big bright nose flying around to lead these reindeer. Get a life. There's two other things we haven't gotten into. First of all, what in the world does a bunch of toy soldiers dancing on a stupid stage got to do with Jesus? Hello. The only reason they brought up soldiers at all the only thing they might have even a close connection was there were Roman soldiers who went and killed a bunch of babies. I mean, there was a bunch of Roman soldiers who killed a bunch of babies. But those Roman soldiers have nothing to do with dancing around on a stage. The nutcracker. Yeah, well, we need to crack a few nuts is what we need to do. Amen. There's some nutcases who think that the nutcracker's got something to do with Jesus. Get a life. And then, gingerbread men. Come on, that's only an excuse to fatten yourself up during the holidays. Gingerbread man, get a life. Gingerbread man. I mean, come on here. Gingerbread man. What does gingerbread man has anything to do with Jesus? The only thing that has anything to do with Jesus is it's got two arms and two legs and a head. Gee, it's the only representation. The rest of it ain't, and it makes you, and it makes your belly grow rather than Jesus. Come on here, it sure don't help your spirit. Amen. 
Folks ought to get fat on the word and quit getting fat on the devil. Amen. Amen. Getting fat on the devil. That's for sure. When if they'd only get fat on Jesus, we'd be all right. But they're too busy worried about their sorry self. <laughs> 